David Bowdrin Perry, where, Barry Rose, I have been assured that our man, Sweet Lou Kippelman, has in fact pressed the record button. <clears throat> Might have had a minor technical issue a last uh, particular episode. But, Barry Rose, let me just ask you a question before we get going here uh, and uh, go into details on everything that we're going to be presenting. Barry, uh, do you remember the uh, the 80s uh, sort of uh, R&B pop group Shalimar? Shalimar Howard Hewitt? Uh, they had a big hit with the second time around. Do you remember that song? Say, Love is better the sec- yes, second I do. time Shalimar, around. Shalimar, absolutely. Yeah. Howard Hewitt, well, I think, was his name. Yeah. Well, why I'm mentioning this is on this particular episode, uh, episode 282, we're not going to be doing the Shalimar routine and offering oh. the second time around. In fact, Barry, we're going to be offering for a match of the week the fifth time around. Why? Because the match we're going to be reviewing today will be, in fact, the fifth time we've reviewed a match between these two particular wrestlers. So I think, Barry, at this point, they're taking over the lead from Steamboat and Flair. Our match of the week is going to Halloween night, 1998, in the rings of all Japan wrestling. Barry, we're walking down that King's Road again. It's Masawa versus Kobashi, the fifth friggin' time we've reviewed one of their matches. How amazing is that? That's pretty amazing too. So th- this this would be the winner, right? This is the leader of uh, of matches and the lead many- horse in the race. <laughs> how many more matches did they have? Is this it? Are we are we there? Are we at the ending? Yeah, well, I can't say that, but uh, right. you know, I, I you figure at some point uh, they've got to run out of content. You know, I'm sure there's uh, tag matches that the two of them are involved that uh, might also be on the uh, the great scale. Uh, but this is the match I know. Uh, I was looking back uh, when I was trying to decide what to uh, do. I uh, tell the listener a little funny story that Barry knows about. So I go back and I've got this listing of matches that, uh, you know, let's say, oh, I want to go into the 90s. And uh, let's see some of the matches that maybe were in the top 10 for the old Meltz's match of the year. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, there are some promotions that uh, are a little bit tougher to get than others. Not a lot of New Japan content out there. Uh, unless Barry, Barry loves going on Daily Motion, by the way, and, and looking up matches. But right, Barry, you're a big oh, Daily that's Motion my favorite. Fan. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we can find New Japan matches. Uh, we can find uh, WWE matches on, uh, you know, on Daily Motion. But it would involve uh, numerous cursing, throwing of, uh, you know, heavy objects by Barry and myself because of all the fucking logistical product that they add, oh, you know, man. the streaming issues uh, with Daily Motion. So uh, we have to... Uh, be slaves to the old YouTube, or if you have Peacock or something like that. That's yeah, true. Well, slaves. that's true. So, yeah. But uh, so, uh, love going to the All Japan because first of all, they have so much content on YouTube. So, so our match of the week again is Mitsuhara Misawa versus Kenta Kobashi. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, besides that, Barry, we'll be offering up ooh, a little Florida man or not. Oh. I'm going to ask Barry a food-related question. We're going to be discussing. Let's see some other stuff up. Oh, Barry, I have a. A quick story to tell you uh, before we get going here. So Mrs. Bowdrin and I are, are going to pick up our son from work the other night, and we, we stop off. Yes, Andy. Uh, the rarely mentioned Andy. Uh, by the way, Andy, going for the driver's license, uh, we have handed the car over to Andy and said, it's, all, it's on you. The payments start on the 8th of March. So uh, Andy's got to learn how to drive now. Uh, but so we're going there, and we stop off at the old Red Robin. And I think we've mentioned this before. Uh, you're a fan of Red Robin, are you? So I don't I don't hate Red Robin. I don't know if that's my first choice for burger. Okay. I will say I've never had a bad meal there. So, okay. Yeah. So so we're in Red Robin. Well, Mrs. Bowdrin had told me that 
something happened where she completely lost her uh, her YouTube uh, music channel and all the pre-selections that she had made. So she's essentially starting over for you know from scratch, re uh, downloading all these songs onto her YouTube channel that she can play in her car, right? So she's going there and she's like, you know, we're sitting at the table and she's like, okay, give me some ideas of, uh, of music that you have on your YouTube channel. Uh, and I'm just like literally just throwing out, okay, uh, Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, uh, I'm throwing out all these groups, all these artists. And, you know, she has a little bit different taste than I do. So, you know, uh, but so here's one thing that I thought was really kind of peculiar. She says to me, she goes, uh, uh, who's the guy that uh, does the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Holly went to, uh, to Miami FLA and I go, Oh, Lou Reed, uh, walk on the wild side. She goes, yeah, that's it. So she's sitting there and she's, uh, you know, Oh, okay. Here it is. Uh, and then she goes, now, uh, who's the guy that does, uh, uh, the, what do you call the, the, the Medina, the, the funky Medina? <laughs> I go, <laughs> tone low. <laughs> she goes, yes. And I go, that's a wild, varied wow. selection of music there, Mrs. Bowden. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's awesome. Okay. But then she offers up this one, which I, I just thought was such a, uh, a almost a Norm Crosby-esque uh, malaprop, uh, for those of you that remember, remember Norm Crosby, Barry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Were we just talking about Norm? Oh, we were talking about, uh, shit, was it Norm Crosby? Jack, uh, who did you just dislike that was on Emergency recently? Oh, Jack Carter, yeah. Jack Carter, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so Kim is asking me again. She said, who's the guy that does this, uh, you know, uh, what do you call a, uh, fire and ice song? And I go, fire and ice. And she goes, yeah, is it, uh, uh, is it, uh, and she actually, is it James Brown? And I go, James, James Brown? No, James Brown did not. You know, she goes, you know, the guy, he's, he's coming here to, uh, to Atlanta, uh, in, in a few months. He did the song Fire and uh, Is It Ice? Or uh, I go, you, you mean Fire and Rain? J- James Taylor? So she somehow confused <laughs> James Brown with James Taylor. And I go, oh, and by the way, I go, Fire and Ice is not a song by either one of those two guys. It's a song by Pat Benatar. So somehow Mrs. Bowser managed to, in one felt swoop, incorporate James Brown, James Taylor, and Pat Benatar. <laughs> Good Lord, does, does Mrs. Bowger listen to the podcast? Uh, on occasion, you know, but, uh, I'm sure she'll be, uh, like getting me the, uh, the eyebrow when she gets home if she does listen to this, but not all the time. Uh, anyway, uh, now that we've settled that little discussion point, uh, Barry Rose, let's talk about our match of the week because it is a, a humdinger, as they say. It was in the top 10 for 1998. I want to say it was, uh, top Three maybe uh, in the uh, observer ratings and rankings that particular year. Pharaohs, tell the folks what you thought of from uh, October thirty first, nineteen ninety eight. Masawa Kobashi, tell the folks what you thought. What a Halloween treat too. So this this was the third best match. This is better than any fucking cosplay. I can tell you that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I got to agree. It is, but there are there are some listeners who may uh, be big yeah. cosplay fans. Not going to mention any names, but they uh, may have recently uh, located from uh, Pennsylvania down to North Carolina. <coughs> no names. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> what is the uh, – I know exactly you're talking about. What were the other two matches that were above this, do you know, that were ranked higher? Than um, I think this was the year that uh, had uh, Undertaker, Mankind, Hell in the Cell. That was – I think that might have been finished at number one. I don't know right. what the other one was. 
which was a good match, but I, oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's still, I don't think it hits the level. This is an incredible match. And as you said, we've done numerous reviews of their matches previously. I, I think this may be the best match that I've ever seen these two guys have. And, uh, let me just, uh, before I, and I please. don't mean to cut you off. Sweet Lou doing some quality research, uh, in That's preparation. Always. Yes, of course. Uh, Lou pointing out that we have discussed these matches uh, between these two guys, episode 75, which is a match of theirs, I believe, from the year 2000, uh, episode 210, which is a match of theirs from uh, January of 1997, episode 231, uh, which is a match from 2003, and episode 251, which is a match from October 21st. Wait, that's a that's a great day of the year, by the way, October 21st, uh, and 1997. So those are the four previous matches, this one taking place in 1998. I interrupted. Please continue. Please, somebody's a huge mark for Masawa versus Kobashi. Who, huh? me? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if we've done, this would be the fifth one. I can't wow. believe we've done five of their matches, and I don't think we've ever done a Kevin Nash match. But anyway, I digress. It's coming, though, right? It's at some point, uh, right? What, this is episode 282, is that correct? Yes, it is, sir. So I, I would imagine at some point it's coming. Look, this is a great match. There was no way you were going to put either of these guys in the ring. And these were two guys that continually, literally laid it out. You know, that was a big thing uh, with the King's Road style was you weren't phoning any of that in. Masawa obviously laid his life out on the line, died in the ring. And Kobashi went through numerous health issues, including kidney cancer, still made a comeback after that. Guy looks great, by the way, Kobashi. I see photos every so often. He appears to be smiling. He looks healthy. There is no way he's not feeling the effects of, of this match even some 25 years later. But this is just an incredible match. And really, the last five to ten minutes of this match may be the best that I've ever seen. Like, you know, the, the, there's so much discussion and talk about false finishes now and guys kicking out of finishers. And, you, you know, it, it, it seems that everybody's so focused on it. This, to me, is the blueprint and the way it should be laid out. Because, yeah, you know, Kobashi does kick out. There are tiger drivers happening at the end. There is one you know, where you just, you see Kobashi get dropped on his head at the ending and it's one, two, and it's like, oh my God, he's actually kicked out of this. The crowd is heavily into it. And this is what, Jeff, this is a 40, 43 minutes, 40. Yeah, this is a, but at no point does this match drag. And I think the beauty is the storytelling that takes place within this match. And again, you had some Great people there. Bob is still involved with the promotion. I don't believe he had passed yet. And the storytelling in this match is really what professional wrestling is all about. And all the times, as you just talked about cosplay, and look, there's a lot of talk of cosplay wrestlers and uh, flippy floppity, whatever bullshit that's out there. But what it all comes down to, to me, is storytelling. And I, I don't, you know, do I like the King's Road style? I love it. I mean, there's no way around that. But I, as long as you've got storytelling in a match, and I think this match is such a great example of that, you'll have a great match. There's no way around it. Because even I, 43 minutes later, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for this. There's the rolling elbow that's happening. There's a bridging tiger suplex, running elbow smash. It's just incredible. I got to say, this is... Of the Japanese matches we've done, we've done some fucking 
unbelievable reviews of Japanese matches. Actually, our reviews weren't unbelievable. It was the matches themselves. <laughs> well, let's, yeah, let's, let's just let's quantify that. It was, yeah, maybe the reviews were unbelievable, but the matches were incredible. This is at a, this is at the next level. I, I'm hard pressed to think that, you know, and I don't want to say never, right? Because I, I, as soon as I say that next week, somebody's going to have a match that'll top this, but I don't know if we'll ever see this type of wrestling again. You know, and I shouldn't say that. I imagine we will. The question is who's going to be doing it? What company and which wrestlers will be involved? This is a match I think that has to be seen. Well, you know, Here's the thing about uh, other promotions, not just now, but, uh, you know, when this match took place at the end of the 90s, you know, you can see matches. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, Okada uh, and his matches uh, just as, as one of those big game performers, you know, when it's a big card. Not that he doesn't, you know, put it out there uh, on other nights, but, you know, his series with Omega, uh, his series with, you know, guys like Jay White with, uh, you know, uh, Tanahashi. With uh, Naito, he delivers, and they have huge, you know, on big cards, they have matches that always friggin' deliver. And, and you know, uh, I know that Omega is a very polarizing guy, but, you know, Melcher gave a match that he had with Okada, I think the rare seven stars. Wow. And so you ask yourself, are those matches better than this match or a match like this? And you know what? It, it's really all in the, in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not even sure, to be honest with you, Barry, I don't know that Dave gave this five stars. This might have been one of those four and a half, four and three quarters kind of match. And whether you like Okada Omega and that sort of big match style where they're doing all these big moves and it's got a more of a spectacular feel to it, or you like Masawa Kobashi, which, you know, is, oh, my God, so hard hitting. Uh, they've got the, you know, the stuff Barry talked about where guys are getting dropped. I mean, when I say dropped on their heads, I mean dropped on their fucking heads. Dropped on and, their head, yes. Yeah, and you <laughs> literally are like cringing because you're like, oh, my God, I hope he really didn't hurt himself there, you know. But this, the All Japan stuff, the, the strong style really puts, I don't know about you, Barry, it puts me into mind of the stuff that I grew up with, you know, the funk, Briscoe, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, really a uh, a hard-hitting style. And I think maybe the reason that you like this, much like the reason I like this, is because it's sort of a, a version of what we grew up on. There's nothing wrong with a big match from New Japan. There's nothing wrong with a big match from the WWE, from the from AEW, from Mid South, from Crockett, from uh, you know any other you know WCW, whatever you're talking about. It's everybody has their own taste. You know every promotion, world class, Houston wrestling, sh- shit that we've covered, the All Japan Women. They you know everybody has their own little taste of what they really like and what they don't. And you know what? After 282 uh, issues. Uh, episodes Barry guess what you know what if we sit here and tell everyone that uh oh we're watching this uh match from the all Japan women with Chigusa and Lioness or Manami Toyota and Akira Hokuda or Aja Kong or Bull Nakano and they don't like that shit they don't get it well they're not gonna they're not gonna listen and they're gonna go eh, it's the fucking Bowder and Barry talking about uh, the damn women again or or if we talk about AEW and oh man this match that we saw this match was awesome and they don't like AEW they're gonna go ah oh, why the fuck are they talking about AEW that damn Tony Khan he's a fucking mark with money you know whatever they're gonna say they're gonna say it but this really to me 
has a parallel to what you and I grew up watching in CWF and what all, you know, our friends that lived in Florida or were lucky enough to see this because this is a hard hitting style. This is not something that looks like, you know, you used the term flippy flop. You know, it, there's none of that. These guys are just nailing each other throughout this whole match. And, you know, you talked about Misawa literally died for pro wrestling. I mean, I mean, that's not even just hyperbole. He, he freaking died for pro wrestling. Okay. And one of the things that was particularly interesting, uh, the particular clip that I sent Barry to watch, I want to say it goes like 60 minutes, maybe. Okay. And I, I remember when I sent it, I was like sitting there thinking to myself, oh, Barry's going to sit there and go, motherfucker, 60 minute match, <laughs> and, you know, and the match doesn't go that long because you have some, you know, some of it is the intro. But then one of the things they do that's interesting is after the match is over, you know, a lot of times they do like they'll do a trophy presentation or something like that. But in this particular case, what they do that I thought was really interesting, and I don't know if it was planned ahead of time or if this was just the results of these guys just hitting each other so hard. Barry, after the match is over, they go to present Masao, all, you know, the big trophy and all the belts, and he kind of goes, yeah, yeah. And then he falls to the mat and he rolls out of the ring and they literally assist him back to the dressing room. And you see something that I have never seen before. And, you know, Barry, I talked about, uh, we're a couple old farts at this point, but we've got a combined 100 years of watching wrestling between us. Have you ever seen what we saw post-match where they're giving the guy basically the chiropractic treatment where they're kind of stretching his neck out in the back? Have you ever seen that before? I don't think so, and if I had, I, I don't recall it. But what that did, and, and I know exactly the moment that you're talking about, what that did to me was it added an air of realism to this. And it, that that is I, that's maybe the takeaway from this match is that even there were some points with those elbows, the dropping on the head, it, it, these guys were killing themselves. They literally were out there beating the shit out of each other. And I don't think for one second, that that was work that they were working on his neck. I believe it was legit. Yeah, and and so uh, just uh, in case uh, anyone's not seen this match before now, what they do is Masawa is laid out on the floor, n- not even in his dressing room. He's in the hallway leading to his dressing room. Right. He has two uh, two young guys lay across uh, his like lower torso, stomach area. And then he has another guy that wraps a towel around his like upper neck, not his throat, but like, you know, just under his chin. He basically then starts pulling back on Masawa's neck in, in like almost like a chiropractic treatment. I'm sure if we've got any chiropractors uh, listening, shout out to all you uh, chiropractors, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure this wouldn't be recommended uh, <laughs> from a medical point of view. But, you know, if it offered him some sort of temporary relief. And then Masawa goes back into the dress room. They start doing an interview segment. They show him, you know, uh, getting a beer uh, because he's won the title. Spoiler alert, uh, you know, how many, 25 years later. But Masawa ends up winning the uh, Triple Crown Championship back from Kenta Kobashi uh, uh, at the end of this match. But that, as Barry said, talk about adding to the realism of this match. If, this, if that was worked, you know, him getting the chiropractic treatment, holy shit, was it effective. Because I was like, because he was literally having trouble. He was stumbling, walking back to the dressing room like he was out of it. And then even while he's being interviewed, they hand him a beer and he's like, he, he I don't think he even takes a drink out of the beer because he's just so physically spent, physically exhausted. And it really, as Barry said, adds to the realism of this match. This match is absolutely fucking incredible. Uh, you know, just the shots that they're taking from one another. 
And it's interesting. I uh, hadn't planned on this, but Barry, let me ask you. After having and I, and I go, you know, maybe there's a recency uh, bias here, but if you had uh, to pick uh, a match to watch in a series, or let's just say you had to watch uh, four four or five matches from the series, Flair Steamboat or Masao Kobashi, what are you going with? Ooh, well, so and you know, it's it'd be easy to say, oh, Flair Steamboat's the greatest series of all time. But, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. Every time we watch these two guys have a match with one another, we sit there and go, holy shit, this is like on a completely fucking different level than everything else. It, yeah, so I, I would go with Kobashi Misawa, but I, I'm going to quantify that as to why I would do that. And it, I think the issue with Flair Steamboat was the similarity of their matches. The three matches that they had, there there were it was very similar. Don't get me wrong. Great. Uh, con- the series, the three series is considered some of the best wrestling ever in this country. And they were great matches, but they weren't completely diverse from each other. There was a similarity with all three of those matches. Masawa Kobashi is different. And I, I feel that the, what they were putting on the line, what they were doing, it's so fucking hard hitting. And, and I can't stress that enough. I would probably go Masawa Kobashi as opposed to Flair Steam. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing is you have to remember that Flair Steamboat uh, had one guy playing a babyface, one guy playing a heel. Right. There were uh, promos leading up to it, uh, angles maybe. Uh, Masao Kobashi was presented as a sporting event. You know, I, I mean, it was like basically the equivalent of like Ali Frazier, uh, Sugar Ray uh, Leonard versus uh, Roberto Duran. I'm really dating myself now because I don't know any current boxers. Uh, you know, uh, it, it it doesn't have the benefit of all the promotional work. You know, it was it wasn't like Masao was going Kobashi, you piece of garbage. I'm gonna slap your face and then screw your wife. Uh, you know, nothing nothing like that. It was just it was presented as two guys that were elite athletes, elite wrestlers. That's the way it was built. That's the way it was promoted. And, you know, interestingly enough, I, t- I talked about uh, the fact that uh, I think this loss to uh, Undertaker versus uh, Mankind. And, you know, I- I'm not poo-pooing that match at all. That was a great match. But I think probably in retrospect, tell me if I'm wrong on this, Barry. The reason that match won the match of the year, first of all, it was an American match, okay? Right. And so the people voting in Dave Fuller, there's a lot more people from the U.S. that are voting. that. But also it had that one moment where he gets, you know, where uh, mankind gets thrown off the cell, and then Jim Ross with, oh, my God, God is my witness. He's broken him in half. And then they've got the bit where he throws him from the top of the cage. He goes through. The tooth goes through his lip. You know, all those moments that people were just, like, remembering, uh, you know, and, and, geez, 25 years later, I can still remember watching that match and going, oh, my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, Mick Foley freaking killed himself uh, to, to get this match over. And so – I understand why that match won the match of the year, but I think if you're going to just do them side to side, not talking about promoting or, or angles leading up to it, just the match itself, this match is obviously so much better, but I'm not shitting on the, you know, Undertaker Mankind. It was great, but it was great for a different reason. You know, much like I talked about the New Japan matches with Omega and Okada have that more spectacular uh, essence to them. I think, uh, you know, Mankind Undertaker had more of a spectacular feel than this does, but for pure wrestling, for pure hard hitting, ooh, this is, this is pretty tough to top this, Barry. 
Yeah, and you make a great point too. And it's every like, once in a while I do. Yeah, it's not to and it's not to shit on uh, the people that loved Foley Undertaker, which at the time was a great match, right? Like it was a very exciting. And I think partly what happens is a lot of people that watch that were uh, you know twelve years old to twenty years old. It was a part of their childhood, and it was such a dramatic moment. And if you're watching the WWE on a weekly basis, watching, you know, the Monday night show and whatever other nights they were offering or days they were offering TV. This was the culmination of this feud between these two guys with really a, a, the biggest fucking exclamation point you could ever get with Foley being thrown off the cage. And that was a huge moment match on its own. If you're ranking the matches against each other, it's almost a non-comparison, but people's memories are much greater than than the reality of what things are though. Yeah. So uh let's uh, let's move on to a couple different other topics. Uh, so Barry, I'm doing a uh, delivery in the old Uber Eats the other day. How's that going by the way? Uh, you know, I have uh, really good weeks, uh, I have uh, really average weeks. It uh, a lot of it just depends uh, the ebb and flow just like anything else. So I had a delivery Barry yesterday from Crystal. Okay. Oh. It's not it's not a place I uh typically am going into for delivery uh but this was a, a pretty uh a, you know you get your ping on your phone for okay this is delivery and i'm going oh that's a pretty decent fare for not too far a trip so barry rose when i went in there the first thing i noticed was and i'm not sure if uh, this is something that will be completely unfamiliar to you crystal doesn't present itself as an extremely clean restaurant <laughs> uh, you know uh, and i know that you always say it, it's all due to the manager or the management team uh what do they stress and i walked in there and i'm standing at the counter because there's no you know they, they have a little uh stand for you know your doordash your uber eats uh delivery and stuff like that and there's nothing there so i'm like okay so maybe they're still in the uh the process of uh doing the order and i'm looking and there's a uh there's a woman there uh by the way not to disparage i don't want to be one of those guys (laughs) but you're about to we're looking we're looking about three and a half bills (laughs) (laughs) i think she's wearing tights and you know whoa uh, this was an employer or customer uh, this was the person that was working not only the front counter but the uh the drive-through window and uh you know as uh, Mrs. Bowger and myself are uh, fond of saying, uh, you know, just because it comes in your size doesn't mean you should wear it, you know. And so, uh, so anyway, so uh, I'm like sitting there and I'm waiting, and she's prepping uh, like it looks like about twelve hamburgers at once, and you know, the mini, uh, what do you call them, the sliders. And she's like, da, 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 and she's not even looking up at me. And so uh, I look over, and there's like uh, a couple of uh, older gentlemen sitting there, and this is. I want to say like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And so maybe like they're having like a later breakfast. And so this woman comes walking up, an older woman, and uh, I just assumed she was a customer. And she goes, uh, has anyone helped you yet? And I go, no. I go, they haven't even, uh, I don't think, seen that I'm here. And she goes, oh, okay. She goes around me, walks behind the counter, goes over to the, the three and a half bills lady and says, uh, hey, you got a customer out here. I think he's got a pickup for uh, one of the delivery services. At which point, three and a half bills, that's what we'll call her at this point, uh, turns and looks at me. She goes, oh, okay, I'll be with you in a second. I said, all right. And she's also, as I said, dealing. I think they had a truck that was making a delivery, and that's why she was there uh, in front by herself. And so she's uh, she's processing the order for, and I think she's doing the drive through first. Eh, I got no problem with that, but at least let me know. Yeah, I'll be with you in a second. So she finishes that. She comes up. She goes, uh, what's the name of your order? And I told him the name. She goes, oh, yeah, I got it right here. Give me uh, give me two seconds. And uh, 
So then uh, she comes out, and she was, I must say she was actually a, a very pleasant person and stuff like that. Uh, uh, once you got past the fact, oh, and Barry, this is a problem here. Uh, again, I, I'm going to disparage. Uh, I don't mean to. Uh, but uh, as, as you like to say, yes, I do. So, Barry, she's got, uh, let's just say, uh, besides everything else, she's got a uh, slight, uh, what do you call, uh, upper lip uh, uh, hair. Mustache? Well, let's just say at some point she'd either shaved it or she had gotten the old uh, treatment with the uh, the hair removal stuff, and it had started to come back, okay? Oh. So she sort of had like a 5 o'clock shadow on the upper lip, but at this point it was about 7.30, 8 o'clock on the shadow. Oh, okay, yeah. so I'm going, oh, man, this poor woman, uh, she's like three and a half bills, and she's got a mustache, and she's working at Crystal. <laughs> Potential for improvement in her life, probably not real great. Anyway, so she eventually helps me out. I make the delivery and stuff like that, but it led me to this question. Uh, after telling you my anecdote about three and a half bills with the uh, 730 uh, uh, shadow above her lip, Barry Rose, on the yeah factor, okay, <laughs> are you going crystal or checkers on the yeah? And I thought for some reason you were going to be, where does a woman with a, a hairy face rank on the yeah factor? <laughs> That's exactly where I thought you were well, going to go. if you want to get into that later, we can. Oh, but right yeah. now, let's talk crystals versus uh, checkers. Which one would you least rather go to? I, I, is there a difference? Yeah, honestly? I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there and, like, let's put know. it this way. And I, I think you've pointed this out. And, uh, again, not saying anything, uh, that probably people can't figure out for themselves. These two stores and their types, they generally tend to, uh, they're get budget. opened up. They're and, really budget. If you look at the menu. Well, and they're, they're in a, a certain part of town that maybe is an income part of town. Let's it's, put it kind of. As much as I, it's, it, I'll say, I'm going to say I would rather go to Crystal, and I'm basing that off of that I know that there were some crystals in Florida, going back a few years, that were actually in a not the worst part of town, and they were kind of a replacement for White Castle or Royal Castle because they were doing the little sliders, right? Checkers, on the other hand, I can't say the same about. I, I, I would avoid checkers at all costs. But I got to say, if you don't have any money, I think you can get in and out of checkers fully stuffed for about three bucks. <laughs> right. Well, okay. so, Let me put it this way. What if I was to offer you Crystal, Checkers, or uh, Royal Castle, or, or White Castle? What are you going with? Uh, I mean, again, apples, oranges, I would go White Castle. Well, what about if I was to throw Arby's in there? I would Arby's a hundred percent. I actually like Arby's too. Okay, so. what, what about like uh, someplace like you remember Rax? Oh, R A X Rax, which I, I haven't seen a Rax in years, and I think there's only. I was like trying to think of all the low left. rent places that I can think of. Well, Checkers, I, I, my opinion, Checkers is right there of low rent for uh, for a chain and fast food. There's a couple others too. Remember Rallies. Yes, Rally's Rally Burgers, Burger, yeah. which yeah. also fell into that category. I kind of like Arby's, though. Is Arby's low rent? I mean, I guess it is. Well, right? no, I was just uh, <laughs> trying to, you know, like you talked about places you could go and get out of relatively inexpensively. I used right. to really like Arby's, but the last few times I've had Arby's have not been terribly impressed. Uh, oh, you know? yeah, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving in a different direction, Barry, couldn't help notice uh, at the time we're recording this, of course, uh, it has not yet been released, but it's coming this weekend. Barry, will you be going to see Cocaine Bear? 
I when I was watching the Super Bowl and the commercial for Cocaine Bear came on, that was probably the highlight of those three hours for me right there. That is the greatest premise, for, and basically based on a it's, true story. Yes, it's based on a true story. That's what makes it, it is, even more. Awesome. It might be the great, and I'm sure they've took a lot of liberties with uh, the in create with the creative aspect of it, but. Just the fact that a bear gets hopped up on cocaine is – that's just – that is – we complain all the time about fucking rehashing movies and television shows. Finally, somebody's come up with an original idea. I will be seeing Cocaine Bear. Do you know in some sort of world that apparently Waylon Jennings owned the bear at one point? I did not know that. That's some yeah. solid intel. Yeah. So also, uh, and yes, uh, to answer the, uh, the pending question that you didn't ask, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin and I, I think may have to make a run to the movie theaters this weekend for Cocaine Bear <laughs> because this just looks like, uh, maybe one bump above like Sharknado. Right. But, right. Uh, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to just like, you know, and not only that, Ray Liotta, apparently this is his last film. Oh, death, you know, legacy. Yeah. Not, not that I want to say that Ray Liotta may or may not have ever, uh, you know, had a problem with uh, cocaine, but, uh, you know, certainly don't want to disparage the, uh, the recently gone. But uh, also noticing uh, and, you know, uh, for the people out there that are Patreon subscribers, by the way, thanks to all of you who are Patreon subscribers, to those of you who have not yet done that. <laughs> well, let's just say, uh, you know, I have my own opinion on that. But uh, for those of you that are Patreon subscribers, we, of course, had an episode where my cousin Lydia, who lives in uh, lovely Hampton, South Carolina, the low country, where they, of course, are doing the Murrick, uh family murder trials that uh, are on the news literally on a nightly basis at this point. The uh, the disgraced lawyer who has been accused of killing his uh, his wife and his youngest son and the Netflix, uh, I guess, three episode documentary. On the Murdoch family murders will be, if it hasn't debuted by now, this weekend it will be debuting. Right. Barry Rose, is that on your watch list? It is. I, boy, is my watch list extremely full, but uh, it is. And I was reading today, Jeff, just before we started recording, I guess uh, he, the, the father, Alex Murdoch, took the stand today yes. and was uh, in tears. Describing. I did not kill my wife and son. He right, testified. right. Yeah. But of course, a lot of his testimony is contradicting things that he said earlier. And he basically has come out and said, yes, I lied. So the question is, I mean, if he's already, you know, I don't know. We'll see where this is going to go. But I'm really interested because we do have this personal connection based off of your cousin, Lydia. So here's a question that I because she was actually uh, texting me last night uh, about it. and. One of the things that I find extremely interesting is, you know, anytime you have a high profile case like this. Okay. And let's be honest for the people of Hampton, South Carolina and the nearby region, this is literally the trial of the century. Okay. This is their OJ case. Okay. Uh, and this is a very small community. This was like one of the probably two or three most powerful people in the county who's been charged with, you know, killing his wife, killing his young son, uh, basically to hide all his financial misdoings, allegedly, you know, that have been going on. And so a case like this screams the need for a change of venue, meaning they take it out of that county and they put it somewhere else. Okay. So 
The thing that's very amusing is, at least to me, is they, in fact, did do a change of venue. They moved it to Metropolitan Walterboro, South Carolina, Barry, uh, which, by the way, is the next county over from Hampton County, meaning it's probably 10 to 15 miles away. So, you know, just imagine uh, if they had a uh, high-profile case uh, that happened in uh, – I'm just going to put it in uh, terms that you might be able to appreciate – right. uh, uh, let's just say, uh, you know, there was a case that happened. Uh, it was a cause celeb uh, in uh, Hollywood, Florida. OK, and they decided they need to change a venue. So they move it down to Dade County. Well, you know, essentially you're moving it, you know, 15 miles away. And, you know, or if you move it from Fort Lauderdale, you change a venue has it now taking place in Boca Raton. I mean, it's like absolutely ridiculous. Why didn't they move this case from small town Hampton maybe to Columbia, the, the state capital, or, you know, up in Greenville in the mountains where, you know, maybe people around there, I get it. This is a huge, huge case to the people of South Carolina. But the fact that they moved this thing essentially 10 or 15 miles away just seems absolutely ridiculous. What, what do they think? The people 10 or 15 miles away <laughs> haven't heard about this fucking case. It right. just is really stupid to me, Barry. It's 19, uh, uh, it's, it's 19, you know, 53 again, right? Where if you live 20 miles away, you're not going to hear about it unless you read it in a newspaper. But yeah, that, that's, that's pretty illogical thinking right there. Yeah. So now, Barry, uh, let me switch back to wrestling really quick. Uh, let me ask you, did you happen to watch any of AEW last night? I did. I watched the entire show. Okay. Well, I, uh, let me just, uh, no, spoiler alert. I've got the first hour in the bank here. Haven't okay. watched the whole thing yet, but the reason I bring this up, uh, the Orange Cassidy, Wheeler, Udo match was, it was a pretty good match. I liked it. It was, uh, I enjoyed uh, it. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, but let me just ask you one of the questions that, uh, keeps popping up and I'm sure will continue to pop up until that time, uh, where a decision is made one way or the other is uh, the pending status of CM Punk. Okay, and we've got the whole. Oh, was it Punk? It was the at fault. Was it the Bucks and Omega? You know all this, and you know they have, as far as I can basically tell, they have not released CM Punk. Okay, because when you see the opening of the show or you see that logo, if you're going to DVR it, there's CM Punk right in the dead center of the damn thing. Okay, so Barry Rose, let me ask you, and somebody else may have speculated this. We may have even discussed this again, but fine. We can rehash it. Fuck, it's 282 episodes. Maybe occasionally we'll be talking about something twice. Barry Rose, what would you say if one night they're defending their triples title, it's Omega and the Bucks, and who's going to be their challenger, and Punk's music starts, little cult of personality, uh, comes uh you know comes out there and he's joined on the stage walking up to the ring with FTR and they come out because let's be honest you know based on everything I've read in the observer and stuff like that uh the ratings of for the past few weeks have been down for AEW uh WWE ratings are up because they had uh was it the the Royal Rumble recently that was very well received a couple other things they've been doing very well received so to counteract the improvement in ratings that the WWE have had. By, by the way, just to interrupt myself for a second, since you watch more than I do, uh, although the ratings have gone up, do you find the content that you watch on the WWE has improved? I, I haven't watched WWE okay. yet, so I, I would be I, – I, 
every so often I'll, I'll flip it on. I may spend a few minutes. There appears to be a couple compelling storylines. Obviously, the stuff with Roman Reigns, the bloodline, Sami Zayn is considered the hottest thing in wrestling and maybe the hottest thing in U.S. wrestling in the last few years. I think Gunther Walter's got a good storyline going for the most part, Jeff. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. So, uh, just to counteract that, and the uh, improvement in the storylines, uh, the improvement uh, in the ratings that the WWE has seen. Do you think having a storyline like the return of Punk facing off with Omega and the Bucks along with FTR by his side? Because, let's be honest, issues create, you know, uh, the thing that I've said and I always fuck up that uh, Jared had posted in the wall uh, on his uh, office about how personal issues create, uh, you know, stuff that makes people want to go to the fucking matches, let's be honest. But if these guys can get together and say, look, we're never going to go out and have a beer together, okay, uh, but we can make money having this controversy and this issue because people know that this really happened. Let's fucking be professional. Let's go in there and make some fucking money. What do you think? Absolutely. And, and last night, uh, and this may be a spoiler alert for you, Jeff, but they were teasing this big announcement at the end of the show. And I, uh, without, without reading anything online about what it was going to be, and I don't think there was any sort of, uh, leakage about leakage, uh, that anybody. You have a problem with leakage at your age? Slight leakage, right? But, uh, that's what they say is normal. So I, in my head, I'm going, what could this big announcement be about, uh, it's a big development in AEW. And in my head, I'm going, wait a minute. So they're saving this announcement for almost the end of the show. And they played the announcement. Right before the main event, I took it as this was going to be a big deal. And in my head, I'm going, fuck, CM Punk is going to come out. His musical hit, hot crowd. Say what you want about AEW. What you're saying is probably accurate. There's a lot of fault. I do feel the TV show has been on the decline the last few weeks. Less talent, whatever it is. It's just not not up to the standards that I remembered uh, or liked. But with it, I, I was determined that. CM Punk's going to come out. This is absolutely going to happen. Of course, the uh, announcement was a huge letdown. I know you can go ahead and talk. I, I know I haven't seen it yet, but it, uh, it won't. It won't even. There, there's a new TV show that they're going to do immediately oh, okay. following Dynamite, and it's going to be. I think it's AEW behind the scenes or something like that. So it, there's nothing to it. And then Adam Cole is going to make his in-ring debut. I think it's March the 11th. And that's when he's going to return to the ring. And Adam Cole as a baby face is not the way to go either. This guy was made to be a heel, but the announcement was a letdown. 100% what you're saying is correct, Jeff. If, if you want to draw money, figure out a way to make this with CM Punk work. You know, you've got him under contract. Try to make this work out, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's uh, Kenny Omega, somebody reaching out to him personally, apologizing. I- I'm not even saying who's in the right or wrong here, but I think everybody could benefit. The company as a whole could benefit with the return of CM Punk. I, for one, would like to see it as well. Well, and let's uh, let's be honest, based on, uh, I think, something that was recently put out there by Seth Rollins, there is not a huge desire uh, on the part of people in the locker room of the WWE to have CM Punk come back. Uh, it, I think Seth Collins' uh, comment was something to the effect of keep your uh, your shit-stirring, cancerous ass uh, out of the WWE locker room, something to that effect. Sure. Uh, so if that's the case, okay, 
Let's also be honest. CM Punk is at a point, uh, in his wrestling career where, uh, uh, what's the old, uh, John, uh, Mellencamp line? There are more years, uh, behind the cart than in front of it. Uh, so he needs to realize that he's got a window of time for him, uh, to, uh, for himself to make money, uh, to be someone who's a player on the stage, uh, you know, on, on a national level. So there are a lot of reasons why he does need to set his ego aside. Uh, and likewise, Omega and the Bucks need to set their ego aside because there's money to be made here, you yes. know, and it's crazy to think. And, you know, from everything I've read, CM Punk uh, in AEW was not the same CM Punk from a decade ago. Would that be fair to say, Barry? As a, as a wrestler? Yes. Not even close. Yes. Okay. So that being said, go out there, fucking do whatever you got to do, make, whether it's make amends or go, fuck you, I hate your guts, but I'll, I'm willing to make money with you. Do you, do you know how many people in the wrestling business fucking hated each other's guts, but were smart enough to go out there and, and you know, and work with each other on, you know, uh, a nightly basis or for the pay-per-view or whatever and get shit done and, you know, make money with one another? I mean, come on. It's just, it seems like so fucking ridiculous. And, you know, if CM Punk was like, say, 30 years old, okay, and he could just sit there and afford to wait this out. God bless you. Then, then, you know, go somewhere else. But, you know, dude, you don't have that much time left as a, as a major player in the wrestling business. You know, do what you got to fucking do here. So, uh, now Barry, let's go to a, uh, another issue that, uh, you posted today at the time we're recording this. And I'd like you, for those of you that didn't see it, I'd like if you could provide Barry. Uh, an update that you posted recently about our our good friend, our brother Bruce Cohen, and his recovery. Could you update us on Bruce Cohen, please? Yeah, and I and I just want to be careful only because no, 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 I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know you do. Uh, I know that Bruce is going to uh, want to discuss what he's been through over the last couple of months when he's feeling a hundred percent. But but Bruce, ex- Bruce, Bruce, Bruce experienced Bruce. Bruce experienced a, a health issue, uh, and you and I found out about it literally like the day before. He had just reached out to us, and then the wheels were in motion, and Bruce has essentially been in the hospital, I'm going to say, the last six weeks without knowing the exact uh, time frame on that. So uh, over the last six weeks, I've been in contact with his better half, Cindy, who is uh, – you know, just a, a rock for Bruce. We should all have, as you did with Mrs. Bowdrin, we should all have somebody like that in our corner when we face a health issue. And uh, happy to say that Cindy reached out yesterday. Bruce is feeling feisty. He is ready to get out of the hospital. He is fighting through rehab, but he's feeling more more like himself. So I know that Cindy shows him uh, the Facebook group, and uh, he can see comments and posts and things. And look, we all love Bruce. He's one of us. He literally is a family member to us all at this stage. So, Jeff, I know that you'll join me as you brought this up. You'll join me in, in raising a beverage. Bruce, for you, for the, for the lovely Cindy, Get better quickly. We love you guys. Salute. That's all I'm going to say. So now, since uh, we don't want to have any more food talk uh, about Bruce, maybe Bruce will appreciate Barry S. going to Florida Man or not. Are you ready for a little Florida Man, Barry? Today, I am ready. I am absolutely ready for it. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Starting off, uh, I got a few stories here for you this week, Barry. The headline reads, Rooster with a violent pass kills man with attack to the back of his leg. 
<clears throat> the story continues, Barry. An inquest found that a man who died in April 2022 was attacked by a rooster with a history of attacking people, according to reports. Uh, reports are, state that Jasper Kraus was allegedly attacked by a Brahma chicken. Are you familiar with the Brahma chicken, Barry? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of sure. course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was moved to his property after it attacked a child. Uh, let's see. Uh, reports say that uh, the judicial inquiry, they responded to reports of a sudden death. And when he arrived, uh, he spoke to paramedics who said CPR attempts to revive the victim were unsuccessful. Uh, the uh, the investigator said to the man, later identified as Krauss, was found on the ground in the kitchen in a pool of blood with a wound to the back of one of his legs. Corey O'Keefe, who was a tenant in uh, Krauss's house, told his daughter what happened. When Krauss's daughter arrived at the house, she saw blood on the floor and paramedics performing CPR. Krauss had a puncture wound in the back of his left leg and a trail of blood from the house to a chicken coop outside. His daughter said that uh, the inquiry that she realized the chicken must have caused her father's death. Death by chicken, Barry. Uh-oh. Florida man or not. Death by chicken. Now, we do. Look, Florida does have a lot of chickens. They're everywhere. But at the same time, I'm thinking I'm thinking more Midwest. I'm going to say not the state of Florida. Well, it's not only not the state of Florida, Barry. It's oh. not the Midwest. So, uh, no, you don't get credit for it. I'll give you partial credit. I'll take partial. Barry Rose, this report taking place uh, courtesy of our friends at the Irish Examiner in Cork, Ireland. Wow. The Bowdrin family, of course, proudly uh, has lineage to Cork County, Ireland. Not why I picked the story, but, uh, you know, hey, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Shout out to all our fans in uh, the beloved uh, uh, Emerald Isle. Okay. Barry, do you remember a couple of weeks ago the story that has now become infamous within the brothership of the uh, the guy with the uh, the cord uh, in the oh, yeah. uh, the penal oh, yeah. region? Oh yeah. Barry, as I present to you, possibly a better headline. No, <laughs> no, no. This is this is going to be close. Okay. <clears throat> Barry Rose, the headline reads: Highly intelligent and possible, or I'm, I'm sorry, and possibly invincible super pigs are invading America. <laughs> Now, I'm going to just throw this out. I'm not even going to offer this up as a Florida man story because uh, it's not from Florida. And you can, uh, as I read the article, this is coming from Canada. But this story was just so great, I had to share it with you and the listeners. It says here, a special breed of hybrid super pigs from Canada have started to travel south from nor- the northern or into the u- northern United States. Uh, by the way, if the, that's the case, you're dealing with a lot of snow up in the upper Midwest area. I don't know if you guys have had that, but I saw Minnesota's got like two feet of snow. Yeah, I got a good friend that lives there that has basically been stuck in the house the last couple of days. Yes. Uh, So uh, the pigs pose a threat to native wildlife and may prove tough to eradicate. The spread of the pigs has recently increased uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, The article continues, a hybrid breed of super pigs, a mix of a domestic pig and a wild boar, is running wild in Canada, and now they've set their sights on the United States. Originally crossbred to help farm pigs grow larger and tolerate the cold temperatures of Canada, a drop in the market about two decades ago let some of the farmers uh, led some of the farmers to let their hybrid pigs run free. Now they're running very free, according to Field and Stream. Barry, this is the first article we've ever done from the pages of Field and Stream. These super pigs are coming south, likely heading to Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Michigan. Uh, any of our listeners in any of those states, run for your lives! Anyway, the problem 
the super pigs are proving hard to eradicate. Said Orion Brook, leader of the University of Saskatchewan's Canadian Wild Pig Research Project. There is a wild pig research project <laughs> at the University of Saskatchewan. Sure uh, there is. Uh, he's Absolutely. quoted as saying, that they can survive in such a cold climate is one of the big surprises of this issue. The cold hardness of the hybrid pigs mean they survive well. The, that means other native uh, species won't. Uh, Brooke elaborates, wild pigs feed on anything. They gobble up tons and tons of gooselings and ducklings in the spring. They can take down, they can take down a white-tailed deer. Uh, even an adult. Originally, it was like, wow, this is something we can hunt. But it's becoming very clear that they're, they're threatening our white-tailed deer, elk, and especially waterfowl, not to mention the crop damage. The downsides outweigh many uh, any benefit wild hogs may have as a huntable species. Barry Rose, super pigs wow. coming from Can It's those friggin' Canucks. They're causing more damage, Barry. Yeah, that and that's a hell of a super pigs of all things. This one is... This did not take place in Florida. Yeah, it, it did not take place in Florida. That's a very good guess on your part, Barry. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so anyway, hey, let me see here, uh, Barry. Uh, next story here. The headline reads: Drug trafficking suspect drops the drugs and makes a dash for it after a stop on the interstate. Uh, deputies say a suspect pulled over uh, on an interstate, drops the drugs and makes a dash for it, according to sheriff's reports. Authorities say the criminal uh, interdiction. Unit. That's a very good use of the word interdiction, uh, Barry. Uh, pulled over a vehicle along the interstate earlier this month. Several indicators pointed to Ka Re Bernard Latre Golden. That's a, that's a hell of a name there. Being involved in criminal activity. Deputies say, now get a load of this, Barry. Well, what do you think? What do you suppose they found in the car? I'm just going to throw this out there. They found some sort of illegal narcotic. Well, that's a good guess. All right. Uh, apparently, uh, he was planning a big, a big evening because, uh, in his car, uh, big evening. Four pounds of cocaine, two pounds of marijuana, and 168 grams of a mushroom substance in his car. Ooh. That's a hell of a night, you know, Barry. Mushroom uh, substance. Yeah, well, I'll just say for uh, some of our listeners, I'm not going to mention any names, uh, that might just be a, uh, a solid weekend. But uh, Barry Rose, Florida man or not? This one is the state of Florida. If he's got some sort of... Uh, Mushroom, uh. So, so, so if you're saying if it was just cocaine, Florida, if it was just marijuana, Florida, but the fact that the mushrooms are involved, you're stating your claim that this is Florida. This is Florida, yeah. He, this is not this Florida. Is, Wrong. What? This is Anderson County, South Kakalaki. Wow. Uh, they're in the Palmetto state of, uh, South Kakalaki, Barry. So you are incorrect on that one, Barry. Don't. Uh, the next one, Barry Rose, uh, <clears throat> The headline reads, convicted killer nicknamed the spider busted trying to escape from prison disguised as a sheep. <clears throat> the story goes, an inmate uh, is back behind bars after an unsuccessful attempt to break out of prison disguised as a sheep. Jose Diaz, serving a 15-year sentence for murder, yikes, uh, attempted to escape from a maximum security prison earlier this month by wrapping himself in sheepskin and crawling across the grassland that surrounds the jail in the middle of the night. Diaz used a fleece coat to sneak past security at the prison facility, get past the wall, and out onto the grasslands. Prison authorities noticed that Diaz was not in his cell, and they were able to apprehend him. Diaz was photographed on all fours. <laughs> I've been kidding. Wearing a sheep suit, attempting to pass himself off as a farm animal in the grass. And there's actually a picture of this guy, Barry. It's hilarious. Barry Rose, Florida man or not? 
I, I do want to see the photo too. Uh, <laughs> I bet you do. Shit. The, yeah, this one is, this one's the state of Florida. Bolivia! <laughs> Bolivia! You're out of the country on uh, this, uh, this episode. You know, I, yeah. I don't know that we've ever done a, have we done a story from Bolivia, Barry? Uh, uh, I don't think we ever have. Uh, uh, Barry, the next uh, headline. Armed robber stated crime scene to eat victims fried chicken. Twenty <clears throat> year old man. Oh, by the way, Barry, since we referenced this name earlier in the show, the uh, def- the uh, alleged uh, perpetrator in the story, his name, James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> A little JT for you there. Uh, let's see. Uh, was uh, arrested uh, early last Saturday for armed robbery. James allegedly pulled a gun on a 35-year-old man. He was driving home. Demanded the man hand over everything. The victim gave him his keys, $2 in cash, a debit card, and a takeout bag of fried chicken. Rather than run, James opened the victim's car, sat inside, and began devouring the fried chicken. Now, Barry Rose, let me just ask you at this point. Let's just play a little hypothetical situation. If you're the alleged victim, because of course everyone is guilty till proven or innocent till proven guilty. Excuse me. If you're the victim, are you more pissed off that he's stealing your car keys, your debit card, or that <laughs> bag of fried chicken? Uh, you know, good fried chicken's hard to come by, right? Well, it's, you know, it's true. It's not like the old days. Yeah, getting good fried chicken. Yeah. Good story, Jeff. Uh, so wait a minute. The victim right. called nine one one, and they came within minutes and arrested James, who was still there eating the chicken. He was charged with multiple felonies. There is no word on where the fried chicken came from. I, I really feel the story needed that, Barry. We needed a – was this KFC? Was this like churches? Was this some high-quality, upscale chicken? Was this Publix chicken? So, Barry Rose, Florida man or not? Yeah, we should we should know where the chicken came from too. That, cause that, that, that could make a big difference right there. <sighs> I'm not doing great on this episode. I'm going to say this took place in Florida. Chicago, Illinois. Jeez. Jamari Rose, let me just throw this out to you. Uh, I don't know if we've ever discussed uh, James Taylor, uh, the artist, uh, the musician. Uh, you got a favorite uh, James Taylor song ever? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I like James Taylor, but I don't think I have a favorite song. I'm going to go with uh, a little Fire and Rain. You know, Fire a, and Rain, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Benatar did that too, didn't she? Uh, well, according to Mrs. Bowdrin, maybe. Right, uh, that's another story go. for another time. So, uh, Barry, we continue here with the uh, next headline. Ahem. <clears throat> By the way, a couple of these stories, uh, courtesy of our friends at the uh, Obtuse Angles podcast, want to give them a little shout out and credit. Uh, this uh, next story, man sets his own car on fire to discourage people from stealing it. <clears throat> 26-year-old Austin Briscoe was tired of people stealing his car. Hey, if something like that, is it the article, hey, if something like that happened to us repeatedly, we'd be tired of it too. However, we question Austin's, Austin's methods of discouraging people from stealing his car. This past Sunday... Uh, police responded to a call of a suspicious-looking figure in the parking lot of an apartment complex standing next to a 1998 uh, Buick that was on fire. When police arrived at the scene, they found it was Austin Briscoe next to the car, whom allegedly told the police it was his vehicle and he had intentionally set it on fire to discourage people from stealing it. Reportedly, as the car became engulfed in flames, it caused several small explosions, which prompted Austin to tell the cops, quote, he wished the explosions would be bigger. According to uh, news reports, court documents state that Briscoe started the fire by cutting his the fuel line, dumping gas and oil onto the car, and setting a bandana on fire. That's a high-class high class guy. Uh, set the <laughs> yeah. bandana on fire and then throwing it into the trunk. Austin then stated that if there was nothing left of the vehicle, then there would be nothing left to steal, according to a police report uh, account on the probable cause affidavit. Barry Rose, Florida man or not? 
So it does appear you're 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 not doing a lot of Florida stories here. There's some are out of the country. They're in Ireland, Bolivia. We go all over the world for these stories, Barry Rose. At some point, you've got to hit on the on Florida. I'm going to say this is Florida, Bloomington, Illinois, <laughs> the home of the Indiana Hoosiers. So Barry Rose, Hoosiers. you continue to miss out because that first that first story, I'm, I'm only giving you partial credit on. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I'm tanking. Is this may be the biggest tank I've ever had doing Florida Man or not? So Barry, to finish off our Florida Man or not segment, I will uh, let the listeners know that uh, Barry Rose, always sharp as a tack, has heard these two uh, last two stories because what happened was uh, in our previous recording session, uh, we did these and then. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, technical glitch where these two stories were, uh, were deleted. So, uh, we're throwing them back out there, especially the last one, just because it's such a great story. So the first, uh, first one, Barry, woman pulls gun in McDonald's drive-thru during argument over free cookie. <clears throat> Barry, uh, the story continues. Uh, police say that Amari Hendricks was quite upset because she reportedly believed she was entitled to a free cookie due to not being asked about the rewards program. Although Hendricks was given the free cookie, she continued to argue. Imagine that. She's given you got the free cookie and you continue to argue. Nobody out there is like that very anymore. Uh, just go on Twitter. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to say. Employees told police that as the 24-year-old was yelling at them, she grabbed a gun, inserted a magazine, and racked the slide. The other employee said she saw Hendricks pointing the gun toward the drive through window. Hendricks' frustration grew where she got inside a fast food restaurant and attacked a man, scratching him on the face and neck. She was taken into custody after initially refusing to comply with officers' commands. She's now facing charges of ag assault with a deadly weapon, battery, and resisting arrest. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? Ooh, and this is one that I, I truly don't. I'm, I want to say this was Florida woman. Yes, I'll say it was. Altamont Springs. Woo! Florida. Orlando. So yes. So that was a uh, good one. Hold on one second for the, uh, the final story of the day. Barry Rose. Let me just pull it up here. Do, 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 do. And as we mentioned, uh, previously about the, uh, the wild pigs uh, story. Here's another great headline, Barry. <clears throat> Man arrested after disrespectfully consuming key lime pie. Barry Rose, the article continues, what constitutes the perfect dessert? Is it a balance of sweetness and tartness? Is it something that reminds you of childhood? Uh, before we go on with the story, Barry, tell us what to you constitutes a good pie. I do love key lime pie, Jeff. It has to be. Oh, good, you were though. talking There's... key lime pie. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we all love pie, though, right? Yes. The, the Rock loves pie. The Rock loves pie with Kevin Kelly. Kevin yeah. Kelly loves pie, too, yeah. or at least knows about that. My favorite pie is going to be cherry pie. With that, it's I like, like... Yeah, a great song by Warrant. She's my cherry pie. Absolutely. The delicious Bobby Brown, I think, yes. was her name. Uh, I think uh, Jane Lane uh, had some of that sweet uh, cherry pie on I Bobby think they Brown. were married, actually. Allegedly. Allegedly, again. Allegedly. Uh, and, Jeff, when it comes to toppings on pie, do we like the lattice crust? Is it the crumb crust? You know, or just a straight, flaky pie crust? I'm actually a fan of all three. I do like pie. Ah, yeah, there, there's no wrong answer there. For there's sure. no wrong answer, too. But I, I love a good pie. I, I actually, little known fact here, prefer pie over cake. 
the controversial opinion that I think it we is. discussed in episode 76 or I don't know, some Did we? way uh, back. Yeah, I think we had a pie uh, cake uh, discussion there. A so. pie cake discussion. <laughs> deep, <laughs> you want your deep shit? You come here. <laughs> yes, we got four hours out of a pie cake discussion exactly, somehow. Yes. So, uh, anyway, could it be all of the above? The article continues. While the strawberry shortcake might be the official dessert, uh, there's no denying the true king of the sweet life in the Sunshine State, the key lime pie. There is, there is a long and contested history regarding the citrus-inspired treats, ship salvagers, easy for me to say, and Key West cooks all lay claim to the original recipe containing a filling of condensed milk, egg yolks, and key lime juice baked into a graham cracker crust. Oh, that graham cracker crust, Barry. Oh, boy, it's great. Or whipped cream topping. Key lime pie is a staple on the Florida menu. That's why one man went all, or I'm sorry, went out of his way to obtain his favorite post-dinner treat for his mother's birthday. He took the custard creation and secured it in his refrigerator where it would remain until the big day. He even warned another person that lived in the residence, David Pallison, to please leave his mother's edible present. Barry, are you familiar with edible presents? Edible presents, yes. Uh, boy, that goes back to our. There's youth. a few people yeah. in our group that I believe like the edible presents, also. But That's I'm not going to yeah. not going to name any names. Uh, they may may sell action figures uh, or uh, you know like uh, those kind of things uh, at the uh, fan fest. But I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here. Uh, unsullied in the icebox, but Pallison, drawn to the dessert, reminiscent of a cartoon character, was losing all control to a pie and waiting. On February 15th at around 5 p.m., the man slipped into a daze in his recliner when something caught his eye. Pallison wasn't just eating his prized possession, but was making sure there wasn't even a crumb left behind. Why didn't you save me just one piece, the dejected man extolled to Pallison. As the man's blood began to boil over the disrespect shown to his key lime pie, he confronted David, and the two began uh, became embroiled in a war of words over the final course and in his attempt to de-escalate things. Pallison tried to, quote, cool off, unquote, his heated opponent by dumping two large glasses of water all over the pieless victim. Eh, that always works, Barry. Yeah, uh, you're upset? Let me dump a couple cups of water over you. <laughs> yeah, that'll uh, that'll With calm that, things down. Yes, exactly. With yeah. that, uh, police were called where the victim and Pallison each explained their side of the story, according to the arrest report. Following a brief investigation, Pallison was arrested and charged with battery on a person 65 years and older. Barry, Florida man or not? This one, this one took place in Florida. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. This did take place in Florida. We discussed this. What I wanted you to identify, since oh. I did mention that it was a Florida-related story, what city in the state of Florida did this take place in? This took place in uh, Newport Ritchie. It's a very good guess. Swig them out and do for the working man. Fort Myers is the correct answer. There you go. So Barry, you got a score of one out of, I don't know, uh, 20,000. That was a failing grade, my man. All right, Barry, before we start uh, heading for home here, a little, uh, little discussion point for uh, for the listeners here. Barry does not know that I was going to throw this out there, so this is going to come as a uh, surprise. Not, not, not what we're going to talk about as a surprise, but the fact that we're talking about it today. Barry Rose... We are on episode 282. We've been doing this now for going on six years. And Barry Rose and I, after some discussion uh, and after talking with uh, Brian Last and Lou, 
we are approaching what they call the end of the line. Um, we have made a decision. This is not something that's going to happen within the next week or two. Uh, this is going to be more around the time of the CWF Legends Fan Fest that the regular editions of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry as a podcast will be ending. However, Barry and I will continue the show on a Patreon basis only. Uh, that will be a minimum of two times a month, you know, depending on uh, if shit hits the fan and something huge happens, you know, possibly more than that. But we're looking at two episodes a month uh, on a Patreon basis that will probably start either June or July. Um, that's uh, when the fan fest is and uh, either right, right around that point, maybe a week or two out a week or two before Barry Rose, we will be wrapping up the regular editions of breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, your thoughts. Yeah. And it was, look, that was a big decision. And, and we should say too, that th- this has been for Jeff and I speak for, for you as well, Jeff, I know when I say this, but this has been a, a really integral and huge part of our lives for almost the last six years we didn't we didn't just jump into a podcast and phone it in though i i'll admit to phoning it in a little bit lately right but <laughs> let's be honest you. i have Not i'll be you. the first one to say it yeah look i can call myself out i have no problem with that but the truth was we we really jumped in and we embraced what we were doing and we embraced the people who listened to us which is the brothership and we didn't come up with that name one of our listeners came up with that name, and it's been such a big part who, of our life. Who was it? Do you remember? Uh, Travis Rain. Yeah, I, was I don't know. Was it Travis? Yeah. Yeah, and but I, I honestly, I don't know. And Travis, which we called John Doe for the first few years, also, and it was look, this was something that uh, it was six years. It was almost six years, and you know, this was something that will be with us, I think, forever. It is. We've we've made a lot of new friends and people in the brothership, which we both consider our friends. You know, it's not just listeners. We're friends with a lot of these people. And we, we've made the effort to try to go out and to try to meet them. But, you know, you said a lot of things and, and I'll go back to uh, when you were battling cancer, which you successfully battled. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Right. And uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of sadness during that time. And one of the things was, which, you know, you said to me, which again, three years, I didn't forget this, but, you know, you said how important the podcast was to you and the fact that you finally got a platform where you could say and do what you wanted and then cancer hits. And you were really, really bothered by the fact, not just that you had the cancer, obviously, but that the podcast meant so much to you that you didn't want the show to be affected by your cancer. And that's quite the commitment. And again, that's three years ago, but that never left me. That stayed with me. We saw a lot, Jeff. We saw the passing of your dad, which is a huge thing. We saw you had cancer. You moved after you retired. You bought new cars. You bought a house. Your daughter got married. I mean, a lot of shit went down over the last six years. Take out the fact that we had covid and we were all fucking quarantined for a couple of years as well. A lot went down. And th- this wasn't just a podcast. And I hope I hope the takeaway for a lot of people, and I realize legacies will be left, things like, uh, you know, in Gunny, as, as your, you know, 
the loss of Gunny was absolutely huge for you. But the takeaway of a lot of this was we impacted people's lives. And and when I say that, I don't mean that in the sense that uh, we're so powerful, our words are so important. It wasn't. It was the fact that we fucking showed up every week. We never put out a best of. We never, you know, again, I, I, yeah, I'll admit to phoning it in recently, but we, we provided content, whether that was quality, that's for the listener to determine. But every week we showed up and it made an impact. And there were people out there that were fighting their own battles. Uh, Joe Christie, who was fighting a battle with cancer and lost. Uh, may he always rest in peace. Our brother Bruce Cohen right now that is fighting a battle that we know he's going to win because he's told us he's winning that battle. But a lot of people, whether it was divorce, sickness, death, whatever it was, we were there. And that meant a lot to people, Jeff. And and with that, the time has come for us to wrap up and to say goodbye. And we're going to try the Patreon out and hopefully, you know, hopefully it works out for us. But if we don't see that there's a lot of traction, the Patreon will probably go away as well. But episode 300, we're, we're making our plans now to make this as epic as we can make it. We're not going away because of any, we're not angry. We're not, you know, this isn't a decision that was made uh, out of anger at whether somebody or something. It's just the time has come. And with that, Jeff, while I, I can't say it's official, there's been a lot of discussion that this will be the last CWF Legends Fan Fest as we know it as well. And uh, I, I can tell you I've talked with Cash Money Penzer about it. And there is a great chance that uh, I'll be making an announcement over the next few weeks. Could we return in a possibly different type of environment, different, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think, I think much like the podcast, there's going to be changes made. Obviously, Patreon only can only see what we do with the fan fest. Seemed like a good idea to do them both at once with that. Uh, and just to clarify, there's no heat here between Jeff or myself or sweet Lou, uh, or anything like that. This is not a decision that was. What about made you and Penn? Is there any heat there? Well, there's a little heat there. I don't want to okay. lie about that. There's definitely some heat there, but, uh, you know, it, six years is a long time. And again, Jeff, we never fucking did a best of. We never, we delivered. If this is episode 282. Coming soon to the Arcadian Network, best of Boundary. <laughs> exactly. Boy, you Boy. know they're going to try to milk that tent for as much as they can get. And they will. And uh, that cow has beautiful teats, that's for <laughs> sure. But we, uh, look, it it's almost 300 episodes. We have been here through through Jeff fucking recorded on an IV drip in the hospital. We have done this through moves that we have done this, uh, you know, through everything. And I just think the time has come. We're, we're a little older. We're a little more tired. Would you say that's right, Jeff? Lou wanting to know if there's going to be a new, uh, podcast called Car Talk on the <laughs> podcast network. So, uh, you know, again, this is not something that's happening, uh, next week. Uh, our plans as of this, this moment is for episode, uh, 300 to be our last regular episode. So since we're on episode 282, that means you've got four and a half months of us still left to uh, get uh, get sick of. Uh, I echo pretty much uh, everything that Barry just said. Uh, I'm not going to get all, you know, weepy dad and stuff like that. But uh, that's my yeah, job. 
yeah, you know, and this this has been a very important part of my life uh, for all that time. And, you know, uh, one of the things that Barry has said numerous times before is this podcast grew out of just Barry and I shooting the shit with one another on the phone. And, you know, uh, we'd sit there and start throwing, uh, you know, Seinfeld quotes or big Lebowski quotes at one another. And, you know, from there it would take off and we call and we start talking about the movies that we'd seen or, you know, we start talking about, you know, sports, movies, television, life. You know, we talk about our kids. And as, you know, the time came that, uh, that famous day when, uh, somebody asked me, uh, Hey, have you ever thought about, uh, doing a podcast? And, uh, you know, and then Brian reached out to me and said, you know, have you ever thought about that? I think, you know, you've got a, this is strictly according to Brian, of course. Uh, I think you have a good voice that you could, you would be good on a, on a show. And then, you know, my first thought was to uh, reach out to, uh, to Barry and ask him if he wanted to join us. Uh, and, you know, um, it's been really one of the epic experiences of my life, it, you know, and, and again, I'm not wrapping this up because we still have, you know, 18 uh, more episodes uh, to go before we and we're going to continue with the Patreon, as Barry said. And, you know, uh, we would encourage you uh, even more than we normally do to uh, to reach out to our Patreon episodes because we're very proud of those also. Uh, and uh, we actually, Barry, uh, I can reveal now that uh, what we've been talking about on the recent Patreon episodes, we're going to be joined by a special guest uh, to uh, discuss that uh, uh, that list that we've been discussing. Oh. Not going to name any names because the recording hasn't happened yet, but I can tell you that uh, olive branches were extended to a certain individual, uh, has been uh, answered and reciprocated, and they are planning to join us uh, for a discussion of uh, what we've been talking about on the Patreon uh, channel. So uh, I'm, I'm off that day, by the way, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't but, make it. You know, yeah. uh, I'll tell you, one of the that uh, is done in preparation of each episode. Uh, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not doing this as shade to, to Barry or Lou or anything. But pretty much what happens, and Barry, I think, will tell you this, is that I come up with a match of the week. Uh, sometimes it's something that someone has suggested to me. Sometimes, sometimes it's something that I come across on YouTube uh, or Google will make a recommendation. And I start from there. And then you know, funny shit that happens in my life or shit that happens in Barry's life that we'll start talking about. And then, you know, Barry will see a movie. I'll see a movie. Uh, we started with the Florida man stuff. And then I start basically formatting what the discussion topics are going to be. And it's not like I sit there and write a script. Uh, you know, I literally have about 10 lines of talking points and Barry and I just kind of riff off those 10 lines. Sometimes Barry knows what I'm going to talk about. Sometimes Barry doesn't know what I'm going to talk about, and I throw it at him, uh, and it's like, you know, just kind of, uh, we're like Flair and Steamboat. We just go out there and kind of freestyle, you know what I mean? Uh, it's not like uh, Savage Steamboat where the script has been written in full, and we we have to, boy, how terrible those, would those episodes be? <laughs> if we're we great. That shit. Yeah. So, but so we'll be uh, in the uh, the coming months as we get closer to that episode 300 I'm sure that's when uh, Weepy Dad Barry will come out. I'm sure that when uh, that time comes, maybe a slightly emotional Booker will will come out. Uh, and, you know, we look forward to seeing everyone that's coming to the Fan Fest. Everyone? Well, we're looking forward to seeing the large majority of you that are coming. To, is that fair, Barry? What do you think? Uh, we are. We absolutely okay. are. Uh, that are coming to the Fan Fest. And, uh, you know, we will uh, we'll have further discussions of uh, – 
everything uh, regarding and surrounding the podcast. But uh, so that being said, uh, we still got four and a half months to go. Barry, about ready to call it a day on this particular episode. I'm getting a little weepy, though. Got to admit. You're a little verklempt. I'm here's verklempt. A, here's a topic. Oi. Kobashi and Masawa versus Steamboat and Flair. What is the better feud? Uh, so, uh, I will say that Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin Barry production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Barry mentioned my boy Gunny, and I think about him each. And now that will turn me into Weepy Dad when I start thinking about Gunny. So, uh, I love you, buddy. Uh, for our producer, sweet Lou Kippelman out there in the city by the bay, having his house worked on, you can't hear all the bells and whistles going on, but trust me, uh, if Lou came in, you'd hear all the sawing going on and poor Lou and his wife having to deal with all those kind of issues. We're thinking about you, buddy. And for my co-host, Barry Rose, we will see you next week here on Breaking Cafe with Bowser and or Barry.